0: This is A Wee Bit of Everything, the podcast that explores all things sport and teaching.
1: Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode we really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience, who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad, so be sure to check them out on Twitter
2: at PremExperience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything.
1: This week on the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast we interview Lee Sullivan who is the head of physical education at Upton Court Grammar School in England. Lee is also the author of the book Is PE in Crisis which we will touch on a lot in this um, episode of the podcast. Lee is also co-author of the concept curriculum and is an avid football fan so we're going to talk about all things PE and touch on a little bit of sport and um, just get in for a really interesting conversation tonight and we're really looking forward to it. Clark what have we got in store?
2: Well, we're looking forward to having Lee on. It's our first time having someone, a PE teacher on from, from the English curriculum. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, how it's done down in England. And uh, he's coming on to talk about how he's been able to implement a meaningful PE curriculum um, and how important your clearly defined why is as, as a PE teacher and how and how to share that across your department, your school, and also your community. Uh, he'll also talk a wee bit about what a concept curriculum is and how he's been able to implement and shape this to improve all outcomes for young people. And also, we'll find out, lastly, about what, what he thinks makes a high-quality teacher. So, without further ado, we'll get him on to the wee bit of everything podcast, and we'll get chatting. Right, Lee, how's things? Uh, welcome to the wee bit of everything podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you, Clark. Thank you, Lewis. I appreciate you asking me on. It's uh, going well, thank you. Really, Really appreciate the invite.
2: Yeah, not a problem. I'm looking forward to chatting more about, you know, your knowledge and experience of the work you've been doing in uh, physical education over the years. Um, so kind of going back to a few years back then, could you give us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date? Uh,
0: yeah, of course. So I've been a teacher now for about 12, 11, 12 years. And I started off actually as a, just a cover teacher just to get into schools and get some experience um, and then moved into being what we call a PE technician um in England which was basically uh I, I just basically put out cones and uh, made sure the store cupboards were tidy and that kind of stuff but uh that gave me a real insight into PE teaching and um enabled me to watch a lot of different teachers and work with a lot of different teachers and observe and then from there I then did what we then called a GTP um which is very similar to now things like a PGCE schools direct or, or uh, type program, but it was based in the school with a little bit of university. And that was with the university of Reading. And then, um, during my, um, NQT years, that's my first year of of teaching, I went through the pastoral system. So I actually spent the first seven of my years, more of a pastoral leader Mm. than, um, obviously teaching PE at the same time but as head of year and what well, we had head of house so it started off with um ha- being in charge of a house with year sevens all the way to elevens and then that turned into head of year where it was just one specific year group but that that really I mean I don't know if you guys have ever been pastoral leaders but if any listeners have been pastoral leaders I don't think there's another job in the school where you learn as much daily where you're tested as much daily with you know one minute it can be a behavior issue the next minute it's a safeguarding issue um then it's just a simple conversation resolving conflict and then you know so and so's Mm -hmm. in the fight at lunchtime and uh, and then you're rewarding somebody for good uh progress It, it just every day is completely different and i just learned so much for that job um but in in my opinion the job had a little bit of a shelf life because it was a you know, there's definitely no nine to five about being ahead of no, you, yeah. or a pastoral leader. There's it, a
2: couple of PE teachers in, in my department who are past, pastoral, uh, pastoral, pastoral teachers. Um, yeah. they, they never get a minute at the lunchtime. No, the, the role and,
0: actually like, leads, leads um, leans itself really well to PE teachers being a pastoral leader because I think naturally PE teachers are, are, are approachable. They've got a little bit of a sense of humour they seem to have, uh, be able to build really strong relationships with students mm-hmm. and so there I do think PE e teachers you'll often find PE departments where a lot of their staff yeah. are doing other jobs particularly pastoral leadership but it was it was a hard job it was definitely a seven in the morning till seven eight p.m job the thing with it is it unlike a head of department now or I think you call it a, a PT up in Scotland as, as you told me just a second ago yep. so as a head of department now my time is is um i can be proactive with my time whereas a pastoral leader has to be really um reactive so if i think mm-hmm. i've got a, a a free period in a day often i will sit down to do some marking or planning and then find out that so and so is just thrown a chair in spanish so i've got mm-hmm. to go and sort that out um so then from from there i i always wanted to kind of build my cv to eventually move into senior leadership and so I thought one way of doing that was to have pastoral leadership which I've already done for a few years but then try and develop curriculum and look at look at that from a PE point of view and um, so that's when I went to be head of department but I actually found I did a few secondments I actually found that uh, that process quite frustrating in senior leadership because I was away from the students more and i was having to deal with things that maybe i cared less about and um as much as senior leaders especially during the pandemic have just done an outstanding job uh in so many schools and especially in schools i've worked in i just found that it didn't really get me as you know motivate me as much as as head of PE did so then i wanted to just focus on head of PE and um, but i did find myself really quite frustrated with not the role, I love the role. I love having the impact. Uh, you know, being able to shape decisions, etc. But the decisions that I were making, the lessons that my team and I were delivering, I was frustrated with it all. I was bored, in all honesty, of delivering the same sport-driven, performance-obsessed, um, technique-focused, or you know, just looking at rules, techniques, tactics, skills that's it and I knew that sport and PE was so much more but I, I, I was just delivering what had always been done I was delivering what I was taught to deliver I was delivering what I was uh, oh, uh when well. I was in school mm-hmm. you know all those many years ago PE hadn't changed I was just doing what I knew and I was frustrated I wasn't making an impact and I saw firsthand through my own observations my own teaching. The same students thriving and many others, the majority, in fact, probably just taking a a step back. So I found myself in a crossroads of do I continue or do I leave? Or or, or I I guess, do I continue with it? Do I leave Mm. or do I try and change it? And uh, that, you know, that's kind of brought me, I guess, to, to where I am now.
1: You think so? See so your experiences doing the pastoral work, and um, do you think that's helped shape your philosophy? Then,
0: a hundred percent. I didn't realize it at my time, but so my personal why is to prepare students for life through physical education. Mm-hmm. I've added the physical education on now, I'm a head of PE, but that idea of preparing students for life that's something that's always driven me. I, I think I was as a, as a student. I questioned, and the, the lessons that I enjoyed the most were the ones that I saw I had a connection with, and the ones I saw the relevancy of, of the learning. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I struggled with Shakespeare in English because I didn't see where it was needed in my life. I struggled with certain things in math because so I didn't see the relevancy of it. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: That's a good point. And so, I
0: think preparing students for life and building that connection with what they're learning. And what they're going to need, what they may encounter in the future is something that drove me. And so as a pastoral leader, I was fulfilling my why. So the PE teaching, I didn't think too much of. I was just doing what I've always done. Um, and actually, I was fulfilling my why through the pastoral work because I was, through the safeguarding work, through working with their behaviour, by teaching them, you know, looking at restorative justice, I was preparing them for life. And then when I just, when that role went, and I then went to a head of PE, I got bored quite quickly because I realised that actually I was no longer preparing them for life. I was delivering learning that was irrelevant, that they had no value in. Some did. It wasn't irrelevant for all, but certainly for a lot of students it was irrelevant. And yeah, I was, I was in a place where I wasn't, I was no longer meeting my why. I was no longer preparing, I felt, students for life.
2: In terms and then in terms of kind of what you've learned then from your the books that you've wrote as PE in crisis and a bit about the concept curriculum, what have you been able to learn then and kind of implement as a as a faculty head of PE like to lead kind of like, as you were saying kind of meaningful change in PE? Yeah, I
0: could I could probably talk all evening about this, so I, I will try and summarise it as best I can because I, I from the book that uh, that was published I, I learnt a huge amount, but I what. I kind of knew this uh, there's a lot of argument at the moment in the world of PE about the purpose of PE and about why we do what we do and if you listen to particular organizations you might get one perspective what they think PE is and if you talk to other individuals they might tell you something different but for me it's this idea of lifelong participation I want students to have a positive and meaningful PE experience but not just you know, the, the, what a sport driven curriculum would lead for the sporty. The kids that already liked PE, but I want every single student. We need to understand as PE teachers that are the way we the, the ped- pedagogy we use and, and just the way we are, the way we deliver, the way we build relationships and talk and every single lesson shapes their experiences of physical activity and sport and a one bad experience could then stop them being active later on in their life, and so we have to do. There's, there's a principle called there's a concept called physical literacy, and if any of your your listeners haven't um, read up about it, I really recommend having a look at it. But this idea of physical literacy is having the motivation, the confidence, competence, the knowledge, and the understanding uh, around why you know being physically active for life, and anybody at their life stage can nurture their physical literacy. We can never achieve it. But we can always nurture our physical literacy and that's just that's the tip of the iceberg of physical literacy it goes a lot deeper than that but the Mm -hmm. idea if if you're just if you're delivering a a purely sport-driven performance focused you know you're assessing based on whether they can meet and replicate particular skills in different competitive scenarios then you are not nurturing physical literacy for everybody it's as simple as that and those students that you are nurturing the physical literacy of, they're probably getting more out of sport anyway, whether you're there or anybody's there. They're probably Mm -hmm. taking part in sport outside of school. But the other kids that aren't, the ones that really need us, Mm -hmm. the ones that might not be turning up every single week to be a part of your football or rugby or hockey teams, the ones that might take a back seat, the ones that probably never get to demonstrate in a few lessons, they're the ones that really need us. And actually, their experiences will impact whether they continue they might not have those role models in fact for PE their PE lessons might be the only time they get any physical activity throughout the week and if we're not nurturing their physical literacy we are putting them off for life and we know the statistics are that after school the the rates absolutely decline I think that the other thing very quickly to touch on is is what I've realized is looking at the totality of what we deliver so Curricu- lots of people lots of heads of department when they look to make changes and, and um, implement meaningful change and, and there is some fantastic heads of PE out there and leaders doing this but some of them will just focus on one element so we need to understand the whole picture is curriculum pedagogy and assessment and a lot of people will change their assessment to be holistic but continue delivering a sport-driven um, mm. curriculum or might um, move to a more holistic or concept driven curriculum and change their assessment to match it but then still their pedagogy is still focused on just physical competence and yeah. they're not um changing this idea of nurturing you know basically we need to reward uh, and um recognize attitude and progress over performance and ability
1: sure. I take. Are you quite big on like the kind of models based teaching of PE, sort like sport ed and stuff like that? Is that how you would tend to approach your kind of delivery of PE lessons, so that you are trying to give like pupils different sort of leadership roles and develop those sort of softer skills that will kind of um, stand them in good stead after leaving school and hopefully give yeah. them that sort of positive experience within PE if it's not solely performance driven.
0: I think, I think models based practices, some of them are brilliant, are really really good. So we have two lessons of PE a week. The first lesson is our concept curriculum, which is around life skills. Mm. And we, um, we kind of put together the the sports and physical activities they're going to do. Because obviously the national curriculum in England gives us some sports um, that we have to cover and and some skills that we have to cover. And so we'll do that through our concept curriculum. The second lesson of the week is what we call our personality pathway. And Mm. this is where we um, send out a survey to our students to ascertain their attitudes and motivations for engaging in physical activity and based on that we then put them into a specific pathway so for example if from the survey we get back that competition drives them the reason for engaging is to be competitive then they might be in one pathway with like-minded students there might be some other students that actually don't mind competition but they would rather socialize they'd rather have fun And then our our final pathway might be those that actually don't don't like competition at all. They're they're actively put off by competition. And so they might be our third pathway. So what we're doing is we're not grouping by ability. We're not grouping Mm -hmm. by gender. We're grouping by their mindset and their attitudes towards physical activity. So then our pathway one, for example, um, we would then give them some activities based on their their uh, responses so they might get some more competitive activities it could be for pathway three we offer them less competitive opportunities or we might say okay we will still offer you the team sports football etc but our delivery of it will not be through competition it might be a skills focus or it might be something around just a little game play that it doesn't matter if you win or lose so we will ask the students what sports they want to do or how they would like those activities delivered to them um and so that's where your question about a models-based approach will come in so football mm-hmm. links itself perfectly to a sports education we're working a lot at the moment around game sense as well which is has proved really really popular where we're just doing lots of fun games but looking at specific skills needed for a bigger game and that's really worked well so models-based practice um we use that in our personality pathway and, and we're we're trialing it. we whatever works for us is we're keeping, and whatever doesn't, we, we get rid of. We're happy to embrace failure. But yeah, there's a there's absolutely a place for models based practice in in what we're doing.
2: It's interestingly. See when you were talking about the uh, assessment earlier, I was actually thinking about the assessment in in Scotland. So we assess based based on their skills, uh, skill repertoire, which is kind of going against what kind of what we were talking about there about how it's about their... You know the life skills that they're developing, and not just the, the football ability. So it's quite interesting in Scotland. I don't know if we've got it perfect here, um, for sure. Because are you talking about in the senior phase though? Yeah, the kind of one-off performances that we assess in, yeah. in in the senior phase through through a ability. Do you do that as well down there? For like GCSE, like PE, or like
1: A level, do you have like performance assessments? In,
0: in GCSE, we do. Yeah. In GCSE, the students have to do three um, three practical activities, which I won't. I won't get too much into, but um, mm-hmm. it's not how I, you know, if I could give any advice to our, our exam boards around GCSE, if we are truly going to prepare our students for life, yeah, making them elite athletes in three different sports is mm-hmm. unrealistic. And yeah, it's the same
2: in our, it's two sports in, in, our, in our kind of skills as well. So that goes against everything that you were well, saying I just well. It's
0: fine to do it in one sport, but if remember, if you're going to be really good in one sport, you're going to dedicate a lot of your time to that sport. So, even elite athletes, that those that do become a footballer, they might not have done much other sport. Now, yeah. that's so what I'm saying is I'm not saying just everybody should have one sport, but offer realistic life, you know, w- what they might go on to do in life. So, things like how it used to be, things like um, coaching and, and, um, Officials, you know, things that they could actually do, yeah. because realistically, ninety-nine percent of the students we teach won't become elite athletes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but going back, going back to your assessment, so you, you're saying that in Scotland you have quite a a sport-driven uh, model of assessment, and how how does that work? So are you um kind of delivering a six-week block, and then this is for core PE, by the way, Clark? Are you delivering then a, a, you know, an assessment lesson where uh, so
2: a uh, core PE is more a six six to eight week block um on, on, a, on a particular activity and then on the last lesson you would do it wouldn't be as much of an assessment on their skills in be in the core lessons it'd be more on their it's called the benchmark so you'd be assessing potentially their decision making and their confidence within football and then in gymnastics you're looking at the flexibility and their Costability stability and strength so there's like different yeah. benchmarks that like link well to different activities so the, the, more... the
0: thing about assessment is and I don't want to you know slam what you're doing or what, what happens in Scotland but the, the thing about assessment is you've got to understand why we assess so that the reason we're assessing is to, for the teacher is to understand has learning happened which mm-hmm. of course you can do that at the end of your block but it's also to inform future teaching yeah so if you do it at the end of your block in a in one summative one-off summative assessment that's not going to inform any future teaching because they're not they might not do that activity again for another year and Mm -hmm. then from a student's point of view they have to own assessment too it shouldn't just be owned by the teacher so from a from a teacher sorry from a student's point of view they want to know one where am I now what what learning has taken place what do I know what where am I in my learning journey Mm -hmm. but most importantly what can I do to get to the next stage and potentially have opportunities to do that so if and i've spoken to a number of schools recently that do a similar model where they kind of come out with a clipboard at the very final lesson and do one summative assessment but i don't think that's a real purpose of assessment and i don't i don't see how that improves learning in any way apart from just providing maybe a piece of one-off data in my opinion and this is how we do in my school we formative formative assessment should inform summative judgments so, continually, every single lesson, observing, seeing what you're doing, asking the questions, looking at the different types of um, assessment that you can do in your lessons, formative assessment you can do, and at the end of it, you use the entire picture to then use your summative judgments if you'd like that you have to report. So you're still doing what you need to do. Yeah, almost so uh, like the stepping stones. Yeah, well, almost. But what I'm saying is. You know, and, and using constantly using your assessment model or your rubric as a, you know, let's go back, let's see what we've done today. what Where do you think you've you've progressed today? Can you give me some you know reasons why? Get get some conversations flowing. They don't have to write down, but we just get a little tick box or they colour in uh, something that they think they've achieved over uh, over a, a period of time. So it just I just think we do need to move away from this idea of, you know, walking around with our clipboards in week eight of an eight-week block Mm -hmm. and then saying okay and also what you know we got to think about the messaging if we talk about lifelong participation and this is where it's so important to understand pedagogy curriculum and assessment all together we've got to understand the messaging of each of those so a student in after an eight-week block of football for example is going to get an indirect message from you via their report or via this assessment of either i'm good or not good so if if I'm good and those that are good are probably doing it outside of school or doing it, you know, really well in school in extracurricular as well, they're they're getting the message that I'm good at football, so they'll continue to do it. But the other students that are getting the message indirectly from you that the the I'm not very good at football, that's gonna put them off. And that's a message that we don't wanna be giving, you know. We wanna we want everybody to access. Yes. I just need to, I think we need to consider the messages we are giving. In assessment and through our curriculum, what's important, and um, and through our delivery, you
2: know. Yeah, I think I think in Scotland, anyway, like the benchmarks have definitely helped that because I think maybe five, five, ten years ago it was more on their skill. Yeah, their
0: particular yeah, yeah.
2: Sport but started to move away to more personal qualities, physical competencies, competencies, their physical fitness and their cognitive abilities. So we're we assessing more towards that side of it, but we're just using yeah. the sport sport as a vehicle to do that
0: yeah well, great great and, and competency is not lost by the way and in, in what mm. i'm it's sometimes i sometimes get criticized by saying you know I'm, I'm trying to move away from sport or physical competency and i'm absolutely not as you just said there it is the vehicle
2: uh,
1: yeah to help. It's, it's definitely a big part of it isn't it to get them to be able is, to, enjoy, to enjoy movement essentially and to be able yeah, to take part cent- in a variety of sports it. but
0: it, it's central uh, we can't consider ourselves pe teachers if what we're doing isn't physical the physical has to be the number one thing it's just how we deliver that physical to make it meaningful and relevant that's that's what we're i'm trying to shape you know Mm
2: -hmm. see just on assessment lee as well see in in scotland it's probably a bit disjointed from like the co-op to senior phase because then it goes more performance based and in the senior phase is that what it's like in, in england as well well um or is it all performance based kind of right through
0: no no so it's it depends on your context in all honesty i think if you could ask 10 different heads of department they might give right. you 10 different answers at the moment that's how um i think we are at right. the moment it, there's very different vision for pe very different visions for pe but how we do it is holistic so we're looking at the, the three learning domains of cognitive affective, and physical right so uh, we kind of follow a similar idea around. Some people use Andy Frackwell's head, heart, hands. Other people use Matt Bowler's me and PE. We've kind of married the two to meet our intent. Um, but and then when you go to a qualification, of course, that's when you are just purely, um, you know, GCSE. Right, you're looking at just performance. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's the same. So would you would you like to see a move away from that, like even even at senior phase, in terms of performance? So for GCSE,
0: you mean? Well, I, I think yeah. physical competency is still important. I do think we should mm-hmm. be encouraging good performance in GCSE, but I yeah. don't think it should be the sole form of assessment yeah, for a GCSE. Um, because it's, for me, it's crazy that if, if a student was really good at maths and they had aspirations of becoming a, a high level accountant, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. then they would be aiming to get a nine and probably their, their competence and their knowledge would allow them to get a nine in that subject. But what we're saying is, and this is, and this is, the truth is that I had a couple of years ago, a GB badminton player, nothing to do with me. She was brilliant before she ever got to me. She was, she was obviously, I mean, she could have led better badminton lessons than me, but, and then outside of school, she was obviously training morning and night. She would come in, use our sports hall to, just to train, just to target practice, that kind of stuff. Um, and then she was going and doing a few hours after school. she gone eight. Now she was good theory. She was strong theory she was obviously top marks in badminton she's representing gb but she didn't have two other sports Mm -hmm. so this is an elite uh, somebody that is going to go and represent gb the best you know i think she was number seven in europe at at one point she can't get top marks in pe because she doesn't have two other sports what that what craziness Mm -hmm. is that Mm
2: -hmm. So was that an eight you got? So, so what's that? What's an eight? The eight was, was
0: it's, it's a, so we have one to nine. Nine is like a, an A star star. So she got right. an A star, but she, right. didn't, well, she wasn't able to access the very top mark in England because she didn't have two other sports because she committed all of her time and energy to that one sport. Of course you would if you're, you know, if you're mm. aiming to be elite and professional. Yeah, it doesn't really marry up, does it? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that yeah. you, can, you can do that. You know, if you are elite, then surely, you know, I understand if you wasn't very good at theory and that dropped marks, but it, uh-huh. doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. The practical just didn't, didn't work. And I, I do think we should be looking at actually preparing all students for life. Can we look at other roles, you know? The sport is now a billion, multi-billion pound business. Mm-hmm. we can really be preparing our students to get involved in this and from a practical point of view we can be looking at you know ways in which they can they can live long long active lifestyles or get involved in different roles practical roles within the sport maybe looking at things like physiotherapy or officiating or um, managing coaching that that's you know that would be amazing to set up the the to the next generation so they can step into sport in a different role because Mm -hmm. they're not. Unfortunately, however hard this is to hear, they're not. Most of them, 99% of them, aren't going to become elite athletes. So yeah. what are we preparing
1: them for? I think yeah. um, it's, I think it's more important in like S one to S three. So that's like obviously your junior phase. I'm not. Is it year seven to year nine or something down in England? Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll
0: be our key stage three. Yeah.
1: So I think it's trying to get that stage right. It's trying to nail that because I feel like in our school certainly we're starting to see more um, like national progression awards where they can do like sports leadership or they can do exercise and fitness. All those sort of awards rather than qualifications. And it is mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's given other people different avenues within the PE department they, which they is can great and, I, and I know uh,
0: countries like Wales uh, and Australia are doing great work around the real value of PE lifelong you know um, looking at the health health benefits of PE and mm. I think as well which is great you know we can talk holistically but if we ask a student why they take part in PE they probably went they might mention their health but in terms of the real intricacies of their health they're not gonna they're not gonna say you know well, I want to reduce my blood pressure or yeah. uh, you know that kind of stuff they, they might say yeah, it's good for me but I think the real reason is is they they want to learn they want to get better mm-hmm. I think that's a big driver for for students but ultimately they they want to have fun they want to feel that connection they want you know the benefits we are uh, I might now take part in for the benefits to relieve stress and, and yeah, to lose yeah. weight because I'm at that stage in my life now where if I eat a donut, it it will hang on my, my waist for a few days for a few years. Um, and so I might now do it for different reasons, but I think young people when looking at the evidence as well, it it does suggest that yes, they want to learn, they want to progress, but they, they do want to, to, to have fun. And they do want to have real connections and, and, um, and actually, judging by my own student voice, they wanted relevancy in the learning. They mm-hmm. did tell me that, my, and this is just from my school at Upton Court Grammar School, they told me that uh, in terms of the value, they wanted life skills, or that they wanted, uh, and sport and physical activity is the perfect vehicle, you know. if look, these are These are statistics from England, by the way, so you can tell me if this differs to Scotland, but I, I would probably bet my mortgage that it won't be too dissimilar that we know that a high, in fact thirty three percent. This was from from uh, statistics in two thousand and nineteen by the Youth Sport Trust. Thirty three percent of students claimed to have poor body confidence issues. Eighty eight percent of employers said that the 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 upcoming workforces weren't weren't prepared to 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 work. You know they didn't have the skills that they felt they needed to work. We've got. Things like uh, this. This is this was always crazy to me. Ninety-two percent um, said that they suffer from exam stress. Ninety-two percent. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that those issues. I, we can talk about childhood obesity. We can talk about mental health. They are complex issues, really complex issues, and PE is not to blame.
1: Yeah, it's uh, not like, uh, of PE like a two of hours of PE a week's not going to be the. The cure for that either like that no
0: it, it isn't it isn't but what I, I can't quote this I'm really sorry I can't quote this person so if they're listening I'm sorry that I'm quoting and not giving you the the uh, benefit of your quote but the, the the main aim of PE should be more PE so if we only have them for two hours a week we need to make sure that they get as great an experience as they can, as much of a learning as they can, so they can access things on their own so that yeah. the two mm-hmm. hours with us then can equal two or three hours additionally in their own time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and we can use sport as a learning vehicle to make it relevant, to make it valued, to make it really meaningful.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's so important as well, like you said, about how you put the survey out and you get that pupil voice almost I think that's something that we don't do enough of and I think it can really meet the needs of more pupils within PE because there is such a big divide between the ones that really like it and then the ones that are they just don't have they don't see the value in it and they've not really had that many positive experiences so if
0: if the listeners you know take nothing away from this podcast but the next sentence and it's been worthwhile Uh student voice is vital Student voice is absolutely vital. I, the, the one thing I say about student voice is there's no coming back from awareness. Mm-hmm. Once you know, you can't unknow. So yeah. if the students are telling you something about your curriculum and you're, you want to, and also if you're somebody who wants to lead change, but you've got resistance in your team or whatever, use a student voice to show those people we need to change. It's just they won't lie to you. They'll be completely honest. Make sure your questions are, are specific and broad and, and, and um, cover a range of different areas. But ultimately, they will tell you what they like, what they don't like, and what they want to know. And you can use that data and use that evidence. And I'll be honest, it wasn't pleasant for me the first time I, I really dug down. Um, I used it previously to, to get a little bit of change. But when I wanted to assess the impact of what I was delivering, mm-hmm. um, this is a couple of years before COVID, it wasn't nice and it was difficult. I, I, I was getting annoyed at the students for not engaging in PE. And then when I did a student voice, I, I then realised why they weren't engaging. They weren't. Uh, and this is, you know, just the we have what we call, you know, Sport England have identified 10 percent of sport enthusiasts. Um But actually, there was 90% that aren't those sports enthusiasts. The sports enthusiasts will love PE no matter what we do. We could literally say, here's a tennis ball, there's a field, off you go, and they'll still enjoy it. Whereas Uh the rest of the 90%, we need to really understand. And this is is the really important thing, and this is the foundations behind our personality pathway. But we've all got different reasons for engaging in physical activity. And it's really important that heads of department use student voice to understand what the reasons are within a particular cohort or even just individuals. Because if you're not meeting those needs, you're never going to be nurturing that physical literacy. You're never going to be giving meaningful experiences. Um, So sport, uh, sorry, student voice is absolutely vital in shaping change. Use it whenever, you know, at the end of the year, even if it's just a little pulse halfway through the year to find out. How, how people are feeling if, if you take nothing away from this podcast it than this student voice Student voice. Yeah.
2: sounds good Lee see see the personality pathway do you do that every eight do you give the survey out after every sort of eight weeks to see if they want well to we, no, it, no I'll be honest
0: it's a bit of a logistical nightmare um, so we do like it once a year at the start right. um or we actually do it just before the end of the next year so that when they come in the following year they're in their pathway because we understand that motivations might change that attitudes might change yeah. um, so we want to give them that flexibility and also i think this is also really important is that the evidence suggests if we want humans to flourish and we want to build a connection between our subjects and students we have to offer some kind of autonomy now that doesn't necessarily mean you know we've gone down the route of you know you choose your activities that doesn't necessarily mean that but it could mean for example we are telling you the activity you tell us how you engage with it but you do need to give some kind of autonomy and choice and ownership of the students to shape part of their learning or some of their curriculum yep. because that will help this idea of positive and meaningful experiences and it, and it is a key part of of building connection and human flourishing that uh, that you know is is autonomy
2: I totally agree Lee, thanks for sharing that
1: um, You spoke earlier on Lee, about the kind of importance of having your why and it's came up in a few podcasts like how important it is to be, be able to, like if a student asks you about PE, it's, it's important to obviously articulate your why um, to kind of almost show that there's a, a, a meaning behind it obviously so how how do you share your vision across your department then, like how do you get everybody to, to sort of buy into that
0: Um the, the first way I did it is to show that our sport-driven model wasn't working so I shared my why and then I asked my staff and there's a lot of I, I asked them to read a couple of exp- uh, um, extracts from Simon Sinek's and um, it starts with why um, and that's really powerful that book and it just talks about people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it so I explained this is what motivates me this is my vision this is what I want to achieve and I asked them to consider and reflect on why they do what they do and so I asked them just in a sentence and I said that it can change and we can develop it and we can talk about it but in a sentence what is it why do you why do because we could you know teachers are often quite intelligent people and you know there's a lot of transferable school skills in teaching so they could go off and do whatever they want um and why have we chosen you know long hours why have we chosen often sometimes you know very stressful days why have we chosen this profession and so I asked them to write down their why why do they get up in the morning why should we all care about that and then we then looked at the students in our uh, in our school and we we moved the students that we we believed our why was impacting and then we looked at the students and we believed our why wasn't impacting. So for me, preparing all students for life through physical education, I, I was moving my sports enthusiasts along to, yeah, I think my why is meeting their needs. And then I had this huge group, actually, I don't think I have prepared them for life. And then my staff were doing the same. We were saying actually our sport-driven model was our why, our sport-driven model wasn't meeting it. Mm-hmm. And then, we, we looked at you know we did SWOT analysis and stuff like that and then together we, we took all of our why's and then we built our curriculum intent um which is in is in the book is is physical education in crisis um and we just use a, a mnemonic of deep um so it's and, and that's it's really important that all stakeholders are aware of why PE exists um and you know why why the value of it basically because you, otherwise you're going to get you could ask a hundred different students and get a hundred different answers when ultimately, as a head of department, I want a bit more consistency and I want them to understand why we do it. So we use this mnemonic of deep, which is develop competence and confidence in physical activity, because of course that's vital. Um, to educate all on the value of a meaning, uh, value of physical activity, um, engage all in meaningful physical activity and to prepare students for life through physical activity. So that's our deep. And now if you ask our students, you know, why does PE exist here? Why do you do PE? They will say, oh, because of deep, which is, which is great. And this is not where we were a few years ago. So it really was about aligning my vision with the vision of my team and then building then um, we have Ofsted in England, which I, I think you have HMI, but Ofsted in England is very big on what they call intent, uh, implementation and impact. So they are going to, when they come in, not that we do anything for Ofsted, but when they come in, they are going to ask me as a middle leader, what's your intent, what's your vision? And then they're going to go and see it in practice. And so having this one intent, um, curriculum intent message, is really important for, you know, when senior leaders come in and when Ofsted come in or HMI come in, it's really important that there's a clear message throughout.
1: Mm. It's having that shared understanding within your staff members, isn't it?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. There's there's this one story, and again, I can't quote it, so I don't know where it's come from. I'm awful with that. I'm just stealing left, right, and centre. Oh, sorry. But, but there's this one story about um, some inspectors were in NASA, and they were going around NASA, and they were going up to different people and saying, you "Know what? What do you do?" And they there was a cleaner, and they wanted to see how much the culture, how much the vision ran through the company. Or the organisation, so they went up to the cleaner and they said to the cleaner, "Sorry to interrupt you, who's emptying a bin," and they said to the cleaner, "We just want to. So, what what do you do here?" And he turned to the inspector and he says, "I put man on the moon," Um, and because he realised that by doing what he's doing, you know, if the bins weren't emptied, other people would have to do it, and that's going to take them from their their roles. And so that, from the ground up, was really really important. That vision from NASA of putting people into space was th- from the very top to I don't want to call it the very bottom, but just throughout the entire organization. Yeah. And that's that resonated with me because I want the that's same good. to happen to me. I want you to go to our parents and ask, why does your student do PE at Upton Court Grammar School? Or go to my students. I want you to go to my line manager and senior leadership. I want you to, to go to I, I want you to go to the geography teacher. A historian, I want you to go to different people in the school and say, So, why do they do PE? and I want them to say the exact same answer well, PE runs deep D E E P. That's that's the mm-hmm. message that I want. And it's, I, there's a quote from the book which I'm quite proud of, which is, If you know your why, you hold your own destiny in your hand. If you know your why, it supports your decision making. It you can everything you do every decision you ever make everything you do if you know your why you can bring it to it and it yeah, just yeah. it aligns everything you do yeah, um, yeah. and so yeah it is absolutely vital in my opinion and I spend a lot of time in workshops and everything like that supporting people to understand their why and the importance of it
2: mm-hmm. that's really good I love that so MC um, Deep does that stand for? develop
0: so it's developed the competence and confidence so we try to yeah, we confidence. try to match our intent in with physical literacy and the national curriculum for england so we've got d which is develop um, the confidence and competence the first e is to educate all on the value of physical activity the second e is to engage all in regular meaningful physical activity and then yep. finally p is to prepare all students for life through physical activity
2: Love that? Superb, right. In terms
1: of your um, concept curriculum then that you've sort of developed um, since, I take it that since becoming a, a, a department, or head of department, and obviously aligning your kind of vision with all your, your staff members and creating this concept curriculum. How, could you give us some examples of how you've implemented this to obviously improve outcomes for the young people?
0: Yeah, of course. So what, what we did is we've moved away from a sport-specific lesson objective So students that previously were judged by their ability to perform a skill, we've now scrapped the the skill um, lesson objective. We've not scrapped the skill. We've not scrapped the physical activity. That is very much still there. But we've just taken away how students are judged and the focus of the lesson. So for for example, if I am um, delivering the layup shot in basketball, The old way of doing it would say, you know, the lesson objective might be, you know, all students will be a, will understand how to perform the layup shot. Um, you know, some students will be able to form it in a competitive situation, something like that. We've got rid of that because ultimately at the end of my lesson, when I was delivering like that. Yeah, OK, most students were did understand how to perform the layup shot, but they uh, most of them couldn't do it. It's a really complex skill. Mm-hmm. and those that could do it could probably do it before anyway so my lesson objective was actually failing pretty much most lessons because the students weren't doing it and then that might be the only lesson that they work on the layup shot which yeah. is again a really complex skill that might be the only time they do it focus on it for a year so they're never gonna you know the idea of obtaining my of gaining mastery and and really competent and confident in that skill is not going to happen through that model so instead we've changed that for a life skill so we know that we wanted to create value and meaningful learning for every single student and one way of doing that was by changing the the lesson objective to that of a concept something that every single student is going to need so i I use the idea and this is how i said to students is that you are never going to be asked in your life in an interview Okay, you know, I see you've got this degree. I've seen you've worked here, but can you perform a layup shot in basketball? They're never going to ask. <laughs> it. unless it's they... a PE interview. <laughs> <laughs> even, then, even then, they're not going to ask it. Yeah, no, but you're the, right. Um, what, yeah, that's you <laughs> become an elite basketballer, and mm-hmm. that is probably quite important. But but 99% aren't going to be. So that is is an irrelevant lesson objective or a le- an irrelevant piece of learning now. When I say an irrelevant piece of learning, I do just want to re-emphasize that we do still teach the layup shot. I'm not getting rid of the layup shot. But now I might reframe that lesson to be, okay, so I'm gonna teach an uh, an overall unit around resilience. And one of the tools I think they need to know in resilience is the idea of embracing failure. So I might start, and we use Julie Stern. And if you've not read Julie Stern's work, it's brilliant. It's called the Learning That Transfers, uh, her book that she and, and some others released early this year. And in it, she has this model called the Learning Transfer Mental Model, or she now calls it the ACT model, so ACT. A standing for acquire. So at the start of your lesson, you're going to give some piece of knowledge, something that you want the students to know. So this might be where I define embracing failure or I, I define what failure is. I'm then as part of their maybe a student led warm-up, I'm going to ask them to go and do some physical activity and I might ask them to discuss in their groups or in their pairs an example of embracing failure and a non-example of embracing failure. Or I might ask them to go away and give me their own definition of embracing failure, or they might go away and elaborate on mine, depending on your age group and competency, etc. So then they come back, we have a quick discussion, and then we're going to go in to a practical drill it might be um, where i introduce the the key elements of a layup shot or it might be where i give them a worksheet or whatever they have to peer coach but ultimately they're going to fail often with a layup shot and so instead of stopping everybody and saying right this kid can do the layup shot let's watch what they do i'm now going to stop the class i can still coach i can still address common misconceptions but I'm now going to stop the class and say, this person hasn't done the layup shot yet. Why am I so proud of them? They've not done it, so why am I proud? And then I'm going to then link it to the concepts of, well, they've embraced failure. Because yes, they can't do it yet, but what they've done is they now they're now bringing their knee up or they're now extending their arm and they weren't doing that before. So they've learned from their failure. They've embraced getting it wrong. They've taken the learning from it. We then come to the connect phase, which is the middle of the lesson. And this is where we connect the, the concepts to the physical activity they've just done. So that might be where the question I've just mentioned or the highlighting of a student, or it might be where I ask students such as how does embracing failure and resilience connect? or how, uh, who has, who has dem- how have you demonstrated embracing failure there and how has it impacted the progress you've just made? Then I might go into another drill or another uh, game or something like that where they've got more opportunities to fail. Um, and then at the end of the lesson, I'm gonna draw everything together with a transfer phase. And this is the idea where we take the learning from the lesson and we apply it to another context so it might be their past their present or their future so i might say with embracing failure think of a time in your past where you gave up when you failed what was the outcome of giving up and what might have been the outcome if you didn't or what was the learning you could have taken from that failure which would have enabled you to have got better the next time or it could be how can embracing failure um, better improve your performance in another subject Um, and then you might you know you can ignite some discussions that way or when in the future might embracing failure be important to you or if you are if you do fail next time in the future how might you approach that failure now um so we're taking this idea of a concept they've still done the laptop they've still been physically active for 80 percent plus of the lesson yeah Um, (laughs) but the learning is relevant and meaningful to every single student Every single student is going to need resilience. Every single student in their life is going to have to, at some point, fail and embrace that failure and learn from it. This is relevant and meaningful learning for every single student. And yeah. on the back of that, the students then value PE because they think, well, actually, I, I do need that. That is important. So, Just, see,
1: see, Sorry, Clark. See, you spoke about like your first one would be life skills and your second one was a sort of personality pathway. Would that come under the sort of life skills one then, I'm guessing? Is that the case? Uh, no, no.
0: They're, so they're separate. So is that's, concept, that's a totally
1: different thing? Yeah.
0: So yeah, they're completely different. So we have one lesson of, of concept curriculum where they all, um, and it's on pe scholar um, dot yep. com. So have a have a look at it. But yeah, um, it's um, one uh, one lesson, and they just do the concept curriculum, and then the yep. other lesson of the week is completely separate to the concept curriculum, and that's our personality pathway. But, but you in, coins, and you've got Corey.
2: There's a concepts like teamwork. Then there's always like personal qualities. Do you just kind of they compete for
0: everything? So what we do is we marry up the concepts we think they're going to know based on the learning journey that they're on. So, for example, our I don't know what you call it. Our year tens. S four, four, I think it is. Right, S four. So our year tens go on work experience in that year. So that's why we look at employability or I think we look at aspirations and employability during that year. Whereas our, our year sevens, we look at, at which is S1, I think for you, we look at, um, personal development. So intrapersonal skills, resiliency, self-worth. Um, so, and and as they go through the year, you know, we finish on year 11. So I guess S5 for you, we know that they're going through exams. We know it's a stressful period. So we look at coping skills. We look at dealing with stress and we end on, um, you know your your physical activity journey we we say you know we've given you these skills now you've got these competencies. where where do you want to take it what don't stop being physically active these are the benefits go off and how are you going to engage now you know and so we try and marry up what we think the learning they're going to need at different stages of their of their journey with us
1: See in t- terms of like i know you, you said like you're still teaching the layup and all that sort of stuff so would resilience be the kind of overarching theme of that block of work that's right yeah
0: so so how we do it is we we planned nine individual lessons for every unit of work right. so okay. for resilience for example that's the overall concept yeah. but then the nine individual lessons are all the tools and the learning the knowledge we think the students are going to need to be resilient Got so it. for example embracing failure having a growth mindset yeah. um, this idea of black box thinking you know sharing failures with others mm-hmm. um, marginal gains is another one so we're giving them all of all of these tools and knowledge um to then be resilient
1: right yeah. and i take it you get the do you, do you not not necessarily celebrate failures but like try and highlight the importance of it with them in terms of that black box thinking sort of stuff yeah and actually have them having those kind of learner discussions on their
0: failures but do you know what lewis actually when when we introduce this And we we introduced this quite a while ago so we didn't just roll out everything at once we drip fed certain schemes of work to just make sure that it was a consistent delivery and and basically we could learn from our failures and we did fail often yeah Uh, so we've honed it to what we want to do Um, but one thing we found you know going back to your question about you know embracing failure we actually found that to begin with the students were not forthcoming When we were talking about embracing failure and looking at, um, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to give us a wrong answer. It's okay to not score every every time you shoot. It's okay to to make a a misstep pass or that type of thing. Because previously PE was so performance driven that we were we were chasing perfection, and the students kind of felt that and knew that. So when we went to this idea of, actually, you, we want to embrace failure. We want you to learn from getting it wrong. They were, they, we had to work quite hard to get them to not only change our mindsets
2: yeah.
0: in, in this sort of delivery, but we had to try and change a student's mindset as well to say, I know this is PE, and I know that you're used to having to get everything right all of the time to get the best marks, but we're not saying that anymore. We're now looking at failing, failing you know, embracing failure. So we want you to share when you have failed, that's okay. Yeah, and that that was it was so it was very interesting. We that was something that we didn't expect to have to address, um, but something that you only learn by doing, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were talking about the interview thing, about the not having to do a layup, there's a Scottish comedy sketch that's on TV about an, an interview, and it does like roly polies, like forward rolls into the, the interview. I need to send you. I'm going to email you. Well, on. Is that
0: for a PE interview? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I don't think it even was a PE interview, <laughs> but I just thought about it. I just thought about that. I Meanwhile, it quite a lot. It's quite funny. I'll send you it on yeah, about, good. a bit of a laugh to later. <laughs> right on to the last one, then um, we always ask this to every guest Lee. So be interesting to get your thoughts on it uh, after a, a really good discussion uh, tonight. So thanks very much for your time so far. Um, so lastly, then, in your opinion, what makes a high quality PE teacher or teacher in general? whatever way you want to look at that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, my personal preference is values-driven. <coughs> so is looking at a holistic view of a child, not just the sport-specific, um, you know, make, making them elite athletes. I want values-driven. But also I think in terms of just a person and teacher, my the my... Uh, trust that I work for the pioneer educational trust which is a brilliant trust to work for they they talk about recruiting for attitude and training for skill so it's having the right attitude and by that I don't you know I don't just mean you know a nice person I mean going back to failure taking risks accepting failure and learning from it you know not um I really like one thing I I really like is teachers that self-reflect and I work with a guy now, Oli Bishop, who is brilliant at that. He will hes quite hard on himself, but he's a brilliant teacher because he's constantly reflecting on his practice and what's gone well, what he can do better next time. And I really like that—that that part of him. Even though sometimes I think he is a bit too hard on himself, I do like the fact he's constantly reflecting. What can I do better? Um, but I think from a, from a TE, sorry, a PE teacher's point of view. One thing I, I know now, which I didn't know before writing the book um, Is Pee in Crisis, is that I, I don't think I was very empathetic before. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I truly understood, you know, everybody's got different reasons for participating or engaging in physical activity or for not engaging. So now I, I would look at teachers to be empathetic and to look at students as individuals and not just through the lens of, I'm a PE teacher. I like sport. So why don't you, you know, not, not just looking out for the mini me's as Will Swaves calls it, you know, not, not just looking out for the people that are like us, trying to look for the people that aren't like us, trying to find out why they want to engage in sport and making and tailor our delivery to them. So it's having empathy for others, understanding why they feel the way they do and trying to reach out, you know, using student voice and those types of things to, to, to reflect. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's a bit of a waffly
2: answer. No, no. no. Uh, but, uh, but ho- hopefully, yes. Continually, t- t- continually self-reflecting, um, being an empathetic teacher and uh, try to look at them as individuals—that's some really good advice in there for. I, mean, I think for that's, that's
1: a, a, a powerful message because you can quite often like feel like you are in it for the ones that are like many versions of yourself, like you said there, and they're, all, they're the ones that are always going to like pee because you can. You alluded to that earlier, and it's so true and regardless of what you're doing they'll still enjoy pe and then you should technically be working with those ones and trying to make that effort to to get the other ones to buy into it and get that positive experience
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely and and we're all well i say we're all i don't want to i don't want to put us all in the same label but i'm a sport enthusiast so it'd be really easy for me to just work with the Fellow sports enthusiasts, yeah. the ones that are good at sport, the ones that enjoy sport and just disregard the others, you know, well, they're just not good at it. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to do that, but we can't. We're, that's, that's, a, a, that's a coach's role almost, you know. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, coach right. can make better performers, but we're educators, so we want to make better people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're working with a whole host of different um, experiences in, whole, in loads of different sports on that, whereas coaching, you can go in and you can work with the one sport and... That, no, that's not
0: saying that we can't. can't do that, but i just saying we're much more than just that, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. I
2: quite, I quite like that, that line as well, where you like hire for potential and train for skill. That's a good, yeah. So, again, I
0: can't it. take that one. So, yeah, it's a, a, um, and a point for attitude and train for skill. And, and that the idea, and I've had so many interviews where I've interviewed people, and for, as a PE teacher, they, they just reel off all of the sports qualifications they've got, you know. Well, I've done this with the the uh, i've got this football badge i've got this rugby badge and as much as that um, subject knowledge is really good and yeah. that's not saying i'm disregarding that i do think that's really useful learning i want you to know your sport but if that's your only selling point that's not enough for me i want somebody that is going to look holistically at the child want to engage them in, in meaningful activity be values driven as well um I think that that's all important and I think it's important for PE teachers to understand now those that are training and those that are thinking about getting into the profession and, and the ones that are in it that don't get me wrong the sport driven subject knowledge is vital it's really important but we're more than that we we are so much more sport is so much more than just techniques skills you know um rules and competition it is it is resilience it is teamwork it is leadership it is so much more we are in pe we are in a unique position to directly influence the health and happiness of our students for a lifetime and if, if for that reason alone we should be front and center of every single curriculum but the reason we're not is because you know we're not some, some, of, some people are not having a good impact. Some of us are doing more harm than good. We are putting students off physical activity and that's a horrible thing. It's controversial. I allude to it in my book. It's a controversial thing to say and it gets some people's backs up. But I've, you know, for example, in England, in lockdown, we were only allowed out the house for one hour a day. And the reason we were allowed out the house was to exercise. That was the only reason we could leave our house was to exercise 60 minutes a day, yet, only 17% of children in England did that. 17% got 60 minutes a day, yet that was the only reason they could leave their house. Now, if that doesn't say that we're not nurturing physical literacy, they don't have the motivation to get out and be physically active. That's, a, that's for me, a really uh, stark stat. You know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely. A, it's true. I don't know what the picture's like was in Scotland, but I'm, I'm sure it probably wasn't too far off. Yeah, you know?
1: something very similar.
0: Yeah. And so that, mm. that if that doesn't tell us that actually the students aren't motivated when, when they're not in PE. Now I know there that again is a very complex statement and there's a lot of complex issues there. There might be, you know, those those students that like team activities, and of course we couldn't socialise. And I do I do get that there's a argument mm-hmm. there. But just on the very basis of the importance of physical activity, you can only leave your house for one hour, and yet so many didn't. That just shows that we haven't, I believe, nurtured the
1: physical literacy through a sport-driven model. Well, that um, was a, a great discussion on that last question that certainly um, lends us nicely into the, the final three questions that we ask all of our guests, Lee. So we have changed the the first one, you'll be glad to know. Um, and it can, uh, touches on what you were speaking about there earlier, actually, in terms of failure. So my first question in the quick fire round then for you is how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? A quick, quick
0: fire round. I try not to waffle with this one, but a quick fire round is: we failed many times with the concept curriculum. Before I wrote the concept curriculum as it is now, um, I tried to implement it slightly differently, but I just focused on curriculum and didn't focus on pedagogy. So I had no consistency from mm-hmm. my team. Um, the delivery was was all over the place, um, and so from that, I realised we needed some kind of pedagogical model to support the curriculum delivery and. So I guess from that failure, it then brought on to, to researching people like Julie Stern, people like um, the Infinite, Infinite Learners, uh, Lewis Keynes and Alan Dunstan, Will Swaves, those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I guess that, that failure brought, brought about the concept curriculum we know today.
1: Brilliant. Which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Uh,
0: quick fire. Simon Sinek, uh, It Starts With Why, was huge for me. Um, Margaret Whitehead, uh, physical literacy throughout the uh, life course was was really important. Um, there's a couple of uh, Joe Joe Harris and Lorraine Kale talk about promoting uh, active lifestyles in schools. That that was uh, a really eye-opening one for me as well. Um, David Kirk, physical education futures, and then um, one one thing I will say is that I do think there's quite a big gap between research. An evidence out there, an actual practice. Yeah. So P. Scholar is is somebody that's really bridging that gap. And so that that I alluded to it earlier, but that that website is I spent quite a lot of time just reading the research on there, which is which is great. So they they those books and I guess those sources have, have had a big impact a big impact on me.
1: It mm-hmm. would be useful for people listening as well to, to refer to them and have a, wee, have a wee read through some of the articles and things.
0: Yeah. And of, and of course, Is PE in Crisis by Lee Sullivan is a fact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How could <can laughs> you know that? Forget, Don't forget <laughs> that.
1: Final one then, what, three, uh, what would your top three tips be to a new faculty head of PE to promote a meaningful curriculum for all of their students?
0: Uh, I, so the first one is know your why. Yep. Um, because I think that will support with decision making, getting people on board with your vision you know why you do what you do Um, I think the second one is to listen to your students student voice make sure you know what it is they think about your curriculum and use that to shape your future planning and then finally um, I I just think don't go it alone Mm -hmm. so collaborate look for ways to learn so for example your podcasts are fantastic examples of professional Mm -hmm. development and you know they're uh, they're engaging, they're interesting, they're entertainment in, in some aspects if you're into, into PE, et etc. But it is professional development. You're, you're, you're you know, broadening your, your mind, your horizons, your learning. And, and also get on Twitter, message people, talk to people, talk to your local schools, collaborate network it's just so important i went to a conference yesterday and there were some really great speak- uh, speakers on there but the best part of the day is always just networking mm-hmm. like, how do you do it oh that's interesting i could apply it this way it might not work the same way in my context i could adapt it or i do it this way you know you're sharing ideas well, you just that. twitter is obviously a great resource
2: mm-hmm. yeah, you just can't beat those conversations can you the stuff you pick up just informally no. from the informally. yeah exactly
0: they're just so powerful and so for a new head of department, is is don't just sit in your office or whatever. Or just speak to your own staff. Get out, um, get get onto Twitter. Get to, to conferences or networking events. Speak. You know, and we the one thing in PE that we have more than any other subject is the opportunity to meet other PE teachers because often we're in fixtures. Um, or events, sporting events, or whatever. So go up to it. You know, how's GC, how do you teach GCSE at your place, or how how are you delivering that qualification subject? Or I'm struggling to engage some um, S4 girls groups. How how are you doing it? It's just really, really meaningful conversations. Collaborate, network as much as you can.
1: Yeah, I think um, we we love asking that question at the end of the podcast because it just kind of summarises all the, the the three key parts that we've kind of chatted yeah. about in the yeah, in the episode. Well. But um, no, that's absolutely fantastic, and it's been great chatting to you tonight, Lee, and kind of picking your brains on your experiences within PE. So we just want to say thanks for getting up your time tonight and, and coming on to have a chat with us. It's
2: been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, yeah.
0: Lee. Nice to meet you, Clark Lewis. It's an absolute honour, and and from my point of view, as as a head of PE, that. Uh, you know, is constantly looking for professional development stuff. Keep doing what you're doing because it's it's getting the word out there. And so many physical educators, I'm sure, are learning so much
2: from what you're doing. So keep keep going, Gents. You're doing a fantastic job. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your feedback. Cheers.
1: Bill Clark bringing us to the end of episode 84, I believe. Oh, I'm on the ball with the episode numbers this time. I think we're we're back on track with it. But take me messages for tonight.
2: Go and kick us off. I think I think you're us doing off that well. You. You're, do- <laughs> you're doing that well with those episodes. You've got two yeah. in a row. I think you yeah. should start taking the graphics over. You're doing that well. Turns out I can count. <laughs> no, there's so much going in my head now about everything that Lewis uh, talking about there, and there's just so much change. I think that we could we could start with. Um, my takeaway message would be uh, with, with core pe to see them twice a week, to we do a concept concept curriculum period, which is focused on life skills, like resilience, uh, teamwork, things that we were speaking about that you can teach through very easily through a PE, a PE in context, uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors. And then another period is a personality pathway, where they ascertain their mindsets and attitude, and their motivation and the reasons for taking part in PE, first through a survey, and then they group them based on um, their reasons for taking part, and and then they do that on a yearly basis. So it's basically people's voice, and then they're they're more motivated to be there as a result of that. Um, and they do different game sense stuff. Um, doesn't even be a just a, a, a full game. It can be a, be a game focusing on a, a specific skill. That said, is working really well. Uh, so it'd be good to be good to try some some of the things that we're speaking about out and. Uh, build a curriculum tent as he was speaking about as well and make sure that all stakeholders are aware of why PE exists so we can have that consistency across our country I think it was
1: also, I thought it was interesting when he said how he came from a pastoral kind of background as he started off in his teaching career and it's, I think it's always interesting to see how your early experiences as a teacher sort of shape your philosophy and um, your kind of why as to, as to yeah. the reason why you obviously teach PE or become a teacher in the first place so that was interesting to see, and that's obviously what's made him so passionate about um, the way that he has he's kind of set up his curriculum, the kind of concept curriculum, and how that shaped his
2: um, philosophy and his why as a PE teacher. I know it was interesting how he got a sentence from each uh, member of the department on mm-hmm. their why, and then kind of made a joint one altogether. It just gives that shared understanding, I think. I think that's so important, because um, otherwise everyone's
1: sort of just doing their own thing and there's not really any consistency within within your department. So I think it's um, a very important thing to do. Like I, I know I sound like I'm, because if I've got years of experience here, but I just think it made, just totally makes sense in my head in the way that he explained that there. So I thought that was a, an interesting point that he made. But um, in terms of how he was, see when he was speaking about the, the concept curriculum and how in previous times you would have taught the layup maybe as an individual lesson and everyone had to try and be able to do the layup in a practice setting or in a game, that was a sort of learning outcomes and success criteria um, I think it was good how he kind of intertwined the re- resilience aspect of it still mm-hmm. teaching the layup but the main focus is resilience, bouncing back from failure growth mindset um, and all those sorts of concepts that he was speaking mm-hmm. about um, and that's something that I feel that like I've kind of maybe struggled with personally trying to what one do you prioritize is it the the skill focus or is it the benchmark focus for like the personal qualities is it you're you're looking more at respect and tolerance versus the the skills that you're trying to teach within the sport or vice versa you know i think it's trying mm-hmm. to so get not a balance i try to get a balance and not putting too much in there that you're not even going to be able to teach in the space of the, the uh, that you've got with it the pupils so um that was a good wee insight it's made me think about that a wee bit differently and he, he gave some really good examples on how he does it and how he highlights the the success based on um someone who's not been able to do the layup you know i think he said that oh why do you think i've um chosen you to give me an example here Well, was because you're still going at it you're still trying and you're mm-hmm. embracing the challenge versus giving up so um no that's it helped me understand that and a different way, and it was I think it was a really good example. That good I, think we can, I think we can tailor that to different benchmarks as well, because we've got obviously I think they only looked at four um, sort of concepts there. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we've we've got like you could tailor that to the different
2: personal qualities and whatnot, yeah. and kind of take it that way. But I think it's a good a good route to go down, and get more faculty heads on here, because middle management the, they drive they drive school improvement, and they're the most important people in any school, as the middle managers they. Are just so important, so I think getting more middle managers on will be really beneficial for for everyone listening and for ourselves. Yeah, agreed. On to the next one then. Absolutely. 85. 85, 15 away from the century. And that'll be the last one for the year, I believe. <laughs> right, thanks again for listening to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why
1: not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the oboe podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week.
0: Take care.